Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Andrea Berloff's new crime drama, The Kitchen. Based on the comic book series of the same name, the film tells the story of three Hell's Kitchen housewives whose mobster husbands are sent to prison by the FBI in 1978. Forced to take matters into their own hands, the women prove to be unexpectedly adept at mob life, running the gangs and taking out the competition. The Kitchen is Ms. Berloff's directorial debut. Following a recent screening of the film at the Harmony Gold Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Berloff spoke with director Lisa Cholodenko about filming The Kitchen. During their conversation, she discusses her approach to the soundtrack of the movie and the big swing she took, the experience of prepping for her first theatrical film, and specifically casting against type for actors like Tiffany Haddish and Donald Gleason. everyone. Thank you for staying for the Q&A. Nobody oh, likes Q&As. Thank you for indulging us. Hello. I was um, commenting on how ladylike hmm. she looked. So demure. After, As Lisa um, knows, this is not the normal MO. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Ladylike. That was a ladylike <laughs> movie. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> I tried. Um, is a friend, so I'm really proud of her. I and I'm so happy before. Lisa said yes to doing impressed. this. very impressed. Thank you. Um, I think she did an amazing job, and um, we all know how hard it is to get out there and shoot anything, but that was on a huge, big canvas with a lot of challenges. So. It was very challenging. Thank you. We'll dig into that a little bit, yeah. but um, I just want to, you know, let's kind of maybe start from the early days. Great. And it's your script, correct? Yes. Yeah. And it came out of your crazy it came out imagination? Of a, sort of. It came out of a comic book um, that was sent to me in February 2016. And I loved it. And I thought, I have never seen a really real mob movie with women at the heart of it. And I thought, that would be the coolest thing to see. Um, so I uh, went to the studio and said, listen, I would love to write this. But at that time, I was just finishing up all of the press for Straight Outta Compton. So I was, I was in the middle of this really difficult but also fantastic conversation on race. And so um, the comic book has three white women at the heart of it, um, two of whom are sisters. It's really different. And I just said, listen, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I want to make one of these characters African-American and I'm going to figure out an authentic story for her. Um, and they said yes. And then we were off to the races. And so that story was set in... Um 70s. It was 70s Hell's Kitchen, New York. And I lived in Hell's Kitchen for a year. So when I got the comic book, I was like, well, that's cool. I know Hell's Kitchen. I live there. Um, but yeah, you know, listen, it's kind of a dream to make a 70s mob movie. Like they're so cool and they're so interesting. And um, we grew you know, up I, but I watched them and then you think, where am I in that movie? So I wanted to f- make that dream come true. Um, so when you, I have not seen that comic book, but when you when you optioned it or mm-hmm. you got the studio to, had it yeah yeah did you consult with this with the uh the writer the illustrator yeah it's was written by a young white british guy um ollie masters and illustrated by a woman named ming doyle and and you know i let them know that 
I love their book and I respected it and I've, they've been really involved. They will visit us on set. They're coming to my house tonight. I mean, they're, they're, they've been really involved the whole way, but I, you know, I let them know that I was going to take it and run with it and turn it into a movie. You know, I think unless you're doing Harry Potter or something like that, it's really hard to stay a hundred percent true to the source material. A book is a book, a movie is a movie and you have to figure out a way to make that your own. Um, that's great. So when you went, you took it to Warner Brothers? And- yeah, well, it's a it's a DC Vertigo comic book, and that's owned by Warner Brothers. So they already had the rights to it. Yeah. So I think you told me once, but it's an interesting story because this is your first feature, right? It is, yes. Which is quite impressive. Yes, thank you. Um, and no, 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 no. <laughs> it's okay. We've all had a first feature at one point. I mean, it's one thing <laughs> to go out there and, at one point. you know glad hand your friends and get some money together and make your first feature independently but it's a big deal to go to a studio and get them to put up money and trust and and how did that work so i wrote this script and they were looking to go to directors they liked it enough which is not always a given then they were starting to put together director lists and i just said listen i'm not going to make you're not going to hold you to your feet to the fire but could you give me an opportunity to pitch as a director um, I have a lot more to say about this story. It was the first time in years that I had written something that I thought, I have so much more to say about these characters in this world, and I know what this should look like, and I know that this should sound like and feel like, and I just felt it so keenly. And, um, you know, I went in and I pitched, and I they hired me, which I was really not prepared for. <laughs> I was really surprised, but, um, but they were nice enough to hire me, and here we are. So with that, you know, when you pitch at that level, did you make, you know, look books. I mean, I don't know if I did it right or wrong. Somebody else was just asking me for advice and I was like, listen, I've done this once. Like, I don't know if this is the right thing to do or not, but I, um, I, I made a lookbook. I made, you know, tons of images, but a lot of the stuff I had already been gathering as a writer, you know, so what do I want these women to look like? I never, I have a tendency to not write characters with actresses in mind ever. I, I just, I pick fictitious people because I don't want to have I mean, if I'd written this with Melissa McCarthy's voice in mind the whole time, it would have not come out nearly the way it came out. I mean, so, they were all great, by the way. Yeah, you they were all really good. Thank them. you. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I had tons of photos in a book, and I also, you know, again, had just come off of the experience of, of Straight Outta Compton, where I was sitting in theaters and watching, watching people watch a movie that ultimately is about racism and First Amendment rights, and they're sitting there and they're dancing. And so I watched how music impacted people, and you could talk about something real because you're giving them a fun time. So that was always, from the outset, music was going to be a huge piece of it. So in that initial pitch meeting, I handed out USB drives to everybody with a playlist on it, just because I was so keen that music was going to be a big deal in this. Yeah, I thought it was really fun because, you know, we're used to, like, Scorsese movies with this kind of very, like, great music from the 70s, but it's very male. And right. this was so fun and ironic in a way to I have tried to Stevie find a lot Nicks, of female voices, yeah. you know, going on over multiple murders. So <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. Good. Thanks. I thought it was, um, it was cheeky and bold. Thank you. Um, the rehearsal process. So you've done a lot of casting. There are many, many people in here, so I... I guess you spent a long time with a casting None. director. Oh, with a casting director, yes. We worked really hard. In terms of casting, I, you know, I had a, uh, listen, there's a, it's not easy to get a movie cast as a first-time director. I mean, yes, they hired me, but the movie was not greenlit, and it wasn't going to get greenlit until I got cast that they would make a movie with. And I felt like 
the way that I could do that as a first-time director would be to offer the roles to people who wouldn't normally get the opportunity to play these roles, to cast against type for every single role, and it allowed me to punch above my weight. You know, they were so excited to get offered these roles and to do it, and they said yes pretty quickly, all of them, because they don't normally get offered things like that. And then, and also, you know, the movie is about you give people an opportunity and watch what they can do, you know? That's what the movie's about. So, like, it, to me, it felt really cool to give Tiffany Haddish an opportunity and watch what she can do, because she's amazing. Um, so it kind of started permeating all of the casting decisions was, well, who else can we cast against type? So we cast... Donald Gleason as Gabriel the hitman who's a yeah okay oh everybody likes everybody likes Donald um, you know he's a skinny Irish guy he's not your stereotypical like right exactly um, he's not your stereotypical like bad guy so I tried to, Bill Camp is not getting offered Italian I know he's so good right and he doesn't get offered Italian mobsters so it was just about giving people opportunity and getting out of their way you know, I thought it was super interesting casting, and, yeah, and it you. seemed totally spot on. So, thank you. I don't know if you looked at lists or just kind of like. Yeah, you know, I mean, we meditated. really obviously over talked the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, the, it then, was just great choice. And then almost no rehearsal time because they're the busiest ladies in the entire world. Um, yeah, yeah, but so you know, not what? even you, a, not even you a cast script them read. because they're yeah, amazing. They can just and you can have go to work with them, right? Yeah. So you basically had. I had very, dinner with Melissa and Tiffany. I had an hour with Donal and Elizabeth, and that was our rehearsal time. And then it was like, hi, okay. Hi, guys, it's going to work. Clear the set. We're going to block. Here we go. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We know how that goes. Um, I thought that the um, production was great. How did you assemble your your team? Like, how did you hire your DP and and your AD? You you know, this is your first time out, so you're like... Yeah, I mean, everybody's new. You know, first of all, it's my first time out, so I gotta hire great people because I don't know what I'm doing. So I have to have great people around me. But you know, and I was really clear that those two positions, the the DP and the first AD, should be women because those are such prominent positions on set. You know, I couldn't promise that I could get fifty percent, and I tried, but I didn't get there. But we hired a lot of women, obviously, and a lot of people of color. But I I knew that those two very visible positions I could hire women for. And by the way, I hired some of the best women around. You know, Maris Alberti as the DP is incredibly accomplished DP. And we gave her such a, it's really hard. You know, I knew that the women needed to look beautiful in every scene because you want to follow them and you want to follow them even when they're doing really bad things. And it's still, we're at a place where women better look good on screen if you want to go with them, in my opinion. So, you know, the women had to look beautiful on one hand, and on the other hand, we're making a dark, gritty gangster movie. So how do you do, like, the beauty glam shots and have it still feel authentically dark and gritty? And it was really hard (laughs) to get that balance right. So Maurice just did a fantastic job with that. Yeah, I I was thinking it when I was watching, and I'm like, wow, there's, there's, you pulled that off. Yeah, thank you. She did it. And it almost felt like a conceit of the film without it being, feeling like a conceit. Yeah, you know it was I mean? conceit. Was, it was intentional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but it popped, but in the right way. So yeah. I think that I, I can imagine that took a lot of you know thinking about how do we whatever, do this? color yeah. and light and makeup. Because I also didn't it. want it to be just bright and poppy throughout the whole thing, which I could have done, yeah. um, because I think it would have taken away from the weight of their stories. Yeah. You know, I wanted it to really feel like a mob movie yeah. because it is a mob movie, yeah. and if I had made it to like pretty girls and poppy colors, it would have taken away the weight of the story. 
No, she was. She's she's great. She's great. And she's done a lot of work in New York, so you made a, a great choice. That's right. How did you find your production designer? Production designer is Shane Valentino, and I knew his work because I know he's not he good. He did a good job. I did, uh, he was on Straight Outta Compton, so I knew him from that. Yeah, it really like heavy lifting, heavy heavy New York lifting into that. And it is not there anymore. And the truth is, at least fifty percent of the movie has VFX in it because you we well, couldn't. Right. Well done. Thank I you. Mean, well done. So I mean, really, yeah, I mean, really we have entire scenes that are fake. That Brooklyn Bridge shot was made in a computer. Well, I, I, I kind of figured that, but there's right? a lot, there's a lot of streets there's and signage lot. and, yeah. you know, vintage cars. And I'm, I'm sure some of that was augmented, but yes. you still have to have the vision of what we're trying to, you know, get. what, what they're telling you is going to happen in v, in VisFX. Right. <laughs> hoping for the best. And the that's not always an easy green process. Screen. Are we sure this is going to look okay in the end? Yeah. It's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Especially if you haven't done that before. Right. So you have to, a lot of trust. Um, your AD, was somebody you'd known? Or? No, she was primarily Woody Allen's first AD for a lot of years. So she knew, um, oh. she, yeah, she knew New York better than anyone. And, you know, we had, we, in the, we only had one week on a soundstage. I'm sorry, a bug is having a party in my face. Um, we only had one week on a stage in Long Island. Otherwise, we were on the streets of New York. So we knew that we needed somebody who was super accomplished with that. Yeah. Um, how long was the shoot? 38 days. Not enough. Yeah. Not enough. It was painful for 180 scenes. They give it away. Thought I was going to die. <laughs> it was really. It was just not enough time. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. We got it done. You sure did. Yeah. God, you sure did. Thanks. Um. So let's see. Yeah, I want. I just want to go back. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions about the actors, but sure. also about Maurice. Like, in terms of executing a vision or having a vision communicating it how did how did you guys work together i've you know there's dps that like to look at films there's dps that hate to look at films they want to look at paintings or photos or how yeah, did you, you know talk? it was really about just talking and talking and talking we knew that that was not enough time to get done what we wanted to get done and and sadly there were too many scenes that we had to just go in and shoot the dialogue and shoot coverage and even, even when I say shoot coverage, there were times we had to choose not to cover somebody. Okay, this scene is not about that person, so we're not going to do a setup. You know, the person's there, we'll see them in the master, but we're not going to cover them because we just cannot move the cameras again. <laughs> we have to move on. So we were really prepped, and we talked and talked and talked to the point that, like, how do we communicate the scene effectively? What do we need in this moment? Um, because otherwise, we, ha we had to arrive and get in and get what we needed and get out. I mean, it's just, it was the same as, you know, anybody else not having enough time. But, yeah, we did not watch a lot of movies together. I think neither one of us really felt like... Maurice kept saying, we're making our own language. And I really think that she was right. That I was very clear I didn't want to watch any other mobster gangster movies because I didn't want to be copying any of those because I can't. And I don't want to play in that sandbox. They're too good. And, and I don't want the comparison. I want to make my own movie with my own voice. So I didn't want to watch any of those gangster movies. I think the movie that I, I looked at the most and then I had asked her to watch rewatch was um, Thelma and Louise because those are two women who are real anti-heroes and they make mistakes along the way and they do bad stuff, but you're rooting for them the entire time and you care about them. And you're, you know, I remember seeing that movie and just driving home afterwards and feeling like I could take on the world. So that was the feeling that I wanted out of this was that, you know, give people a chance and see what they can do. Um, so yeah, we, it was more just sitting in this little office I had in New York and talking and talking and talking. 
But, you know, I was looking at it, and I'm like, there's a lot of camera movement, and there's, yeah. you know, study cam shots, and there's dolly shots, and there's... So was that something where you'd sit down and look at the script and break down the scenes and say, you know, we only have this, you know, how yeah. it gets. You're micromanaging every second, but... Here okay, we we're time. here, we got to cover this, and we, you oh, know, and absolutely. And there was time I was like, movement. we cannot lay a track, you guys. Strap on that steady cam and let's get to it. Like, okay. we don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> Move so along, I was, right? Did you have those kind of questions? Oh, yeah. You're just like, nope. I can't know what do I it. need to do to get it yeah. done. And she was good with that. She was great with that. We had a really good communicative That's relationship. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it was not, listen, I, I would have loved lots of tons of more pretty camera moves. We just yeah. couldn't. So we really put our energy in the lighting, I would say, you know, yeah. when we had to choose our time. Yeah. Um, I think that's just as important. Yeah. So, and then you can, um, so the chore choreographing, when there was a lot of people there, was that something that was sort of pre-visualized or was it you brought people, how did you work through yeah, I mean, those I, things the on the I day? I want to write a movie with like just two people in a room because having, you know, eight actors, all of whom are kind of stars that all need to be moving around and covered, like it's, it's yeah. tough. Um, it was all pre-planned. We did not have time to arrive on set and let me block for an hour. Like we're blocking for 10 minutes and we're moving on. So you just knew what it was. Yeah. You've been there, and you're like, you're there, you're there, you're yeah, there. Let's the do it. There. Come let's on, ladies. That way. <laughs> right. Raise your hand. Get if dressed. You want to go first? <laughs> right. Exactly. It was kind of like, who wants to go first today? Yeah. No, I know that's funny. Um, let's see. Well, this is a good question. Mm -hmm. Was there a high or low point during production? High or low point during production? I will say, the hardest night was the water work. That oh, low point. We it's fine, but you know we had Donal in the water, and then we had Lizzie Elizabeth in the water, and that was really hard because number one, we were in a pond upstate. Um, it's all CGI um, because you can't put actors in dirty water. It's got to be clean water. So finding finding the clean water in New York City to stick them in was like not easy as you can imagine. So we had to, it was our one day out of the city was in a pond upstate and we water tested it and it was clean enough that you could drink out of it. And I was like, great. And it was 78 degrees, which I thought was pretty good in the water. But as Donal explained after several hours in the water, 78 degrees is still pretty chilly. Um, but you know, of course you're in the water and then you have a camera on a barge and you got to turn that barge around and then they get wet and then they have to get out and get dry and then they have to get wet again. And it was like, it was just, it was too much work for one night, but we got it done. Yeah. Yeah, it was hard. Ruling all those those pieces that yes. you don't, you can't account for all the five minutes that exactly. go by to, to dry and right. blow her, dry. Her, her jeans dry yet. Please get her jeans dry. <laughs> um, I thought the editing was really smart and really sharp Thanks. and obviously choreographed with music and really thoughtful with narrative. Um, was that something that was pre-planned or did you feel like you found a lot of stuff it with was, your editor? I will say this, that I, what was pre-planned was hiring one of the best editors in the business, which in Christopher Tellefs. And, and I um, basically asked the studio to take money out of other areas and get him hired because I knew that post was the area I had the least experience in and that I needed somebody really strong and great to guide me. So Chris and I worked really hard on this movie um, and it was an incredible relationship between the two of us and really collaborative. And I think, you know, what was, what was, what we worked hardest on was tone. Um, it's really hard because an audience looks at Melissa and Tiffany and they want to laugh. And we had to be really careful about what shots we were using in the end because even when they weren't doing anything funny, 
people right. were finding humor in their expressions because you want to find humor in their expressions. Yeah. And the second you start doing that, the movie loses its weight and it loses its what we're trying to communicate. So I had to really choose the moments that I allowed the humor in and that was purely to break the tension and to break up, you know, like let people breathe for a second. But um, it, it was really difficult to, to nail the tone and the second we let it slip a little, the second there was one look that somebody might laugh at, it like was ruining the end of the movie, it was ruining stuff. So then we had to go in and get that second out. So we were really controlling about choosing, you know, tone. And also we had this, Chris and I had this expression that was, um, when in doubt, go to the three shot. Obviously we had coverage where we would have a master of the three of them and then, you know, singles on the ladies, but the three of them together were so magical and their chemistry was so great that we just kept trashing our singles and saying, we just want all three of them because everybody's going to want to see the three of them together. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Did you have to have a lot of, um, you know, it's a studio. So did you have to have a lot of, you know, pre, screenings, feedback screenings, plenty you of know, test scores. Screenings. And we had a screening in this very theater with a test audience very early on um, in the fall. And, you know, I, here's what was, what was most helpful was tone. I really do believe in screening the movie. The audience tells you what they're seeing. I don't care that much about scores or the data or the questions that they're asking. But sitting in a theater watching a movie with an audience, the audience will tell you what's working, what's not working. You hear people laughing. You hear them. You see them get bored when they're all, you look out and a crowd, the whole crowd is shifting in their seat. Something's wrong at that moment, you know. Just being really attuned to what people are experiencing, I think, is, is invaluable. You know, I know people get anxious about those screenings. I think if it's not like gun to your head and people right. aren't being hostile about it, right? I think they're very, very and they helpful. were great. They never stuck scores in my face and said, "Look, we need another laugh here." Like that never happened. So it was the studio behaved well in this. Um, there was some really good music that was original, and I, yeah. I know you worked with a composer. composer, Bryce Dessner. Yeah, yeah. I wanted. I did not want. I wanted movies that uh, music that felt like it could live in this era that didn't stick out as contemporary score. It would have been super weird. And also the score is being used in these very intimate scenes. So like in the car with Claire and Gabriel or in the apartment with Claire and Gabriel. And it would have been weird to have an 80 piece orchestra yeah. <laughs> suddenly. And where's that music coming from? So I wanted some very intimate guitar pieces. And Bryce is like one of the best guitarists around. He's the guitarist for the national and like just an exceptionally skilled guy. Um, and how did you get to him? How did that? The come studio up? introduced me. I mean, I basically said just this. I don't want a. I don't want like a big fancy composer. I want a guitarist who then can do some other. And and you see, we have score that turned into bigger cues, but most of his work was that intimate stuff, and it's just exquisite. I think. Yeah. No, it did, and it were, and I thought it weaved really well with. Yeah. Um, the source music. Good. And then we had so much fun remaking the chain with the high women. Um, because we want, I know, isn't it cool? Um, we want, again, a, a, I feel like, you know, it's sort of classic to end with a new song that they can play on the radio at the end of these yeah. movies, but a new song would have felt so out of place in this movie. Like, where is that coming from? What's that music? So we settled upon, hit upon the idea of um, remaking the chain and then tried to figure out how to do it. And we had heard about this cool new group that was coming together in Nashville and they were in the studio at the time. And I was like, wow, like a, a superstar group of women is exactly the right message that we're trying to send. And they, I mean, the song is so fun. They just, they did a great job. That was great. Was that your, like, greatest hits? Like, how did you, I mean, I was like, wow, she had a great music budget. How I did. You? Well, we, I, in my director's cut, I put a lot of big songs and that I could not afford. And I, of course, I presented at the studio and I was like, good music, right, guys? What do you think? And so they gave me more money to go get the good music, 
which was really nice. Yeah, I just took a risk. Fun. I mean, if I had, I don't, I felt like director's cut. I don't need to stay on budget with music. Like, just put great music in. Yeah, it's up to them. Yeah, but it's fun. It was a great counterpoint. It wasn't just like, oh, the greatest hits of the seven. I mean, it, they, yeah, I no, and we, and by really the way, well. we had plenty of songs that that weren't a fortune that I just loved. You yeah. know, there's that song um, uh, when Claire's in the river. Uh, that song, Just You and Me, was a Hispanic girl group in Texas in the 60s, and they had two songs, period, or three songs, period, nothing. Like, it was a real find. So it was really fun to also discover those lost gems. Good, yeah. I loved it when Barracuda came on. That was really fun. I know, I love fun. Barracuda. And For a while, oh, I was I know where I am. Me. Okay. Yeah. It's 1978. That's right. I don't know. Rock on, Hart. Um, if you could say, I know there's probably many, but if you could say what your best sort of the personal satisfaction of this experience. Mm. I know there was a lot of hard things and I know sure. you had to live on the East Coast I and did. away from your family. Lisa heard me complain and a lot about how far tough, away I was. It's <laughs> tough for right. the ladies. It is tough. Um, I will say this, that I have been on, you know, I've had a lovely long career as a screenwriter and I was on set after set after set where I watched people behave badly. And so as I interviewed people here, I said, let me be clear we're not yelling and we're treating each other with respect and I'm not going to tolerate yelling or disrespect. And so from day one, there was no yelling. And you know what? When people get, yeah, I've had bosses yell at me and it feels really bad and it feels not safe. And that means that people don't raise their hand to say, Hey, I have an idea or Hey, I have a problem. And that's how things I, in my experience have gotten out of hand on sets at times because people aren't speaking up when they see a problem because they're scared they're going to get screamed at or fired. So I really wanted to create a calm environment where people felt respected and heard. And I think things ran really smoothly, which is also how we got this done in 38 days. Yeah. Yeah. So, thanks. Yeah, and I think it runs smoothly and it's better. It like creates an energy that feeds on itself and it's it's yeah. a much happier experience want, for everybody. Right, people are invested and they want it, They want the movie to do well so they work a little harder and they don't give me a lot of time when I'm like, guess what, we're going into overtime. Yeah. You know, they just were okay because they understood why. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you did an amazing job. Thank I'm you. really impressed. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks, as we will have more great Q&As with directors Quentin Tarantino and Gorinder Chadha. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 